The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats. Let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a very powerful subject to cover today, but first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform which you're listening to us upon. We have several social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read. Be sure to check us out on our fan page on Facebook when you type in at Mighty Fortress 313. You can take a look at our website, ourmightyfortress.com. That's where you'll find all of our articles and videos and even a, a link to the merch store to help support the work. If you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, you can feel free to do so through our website and the established PayPal link. And of course, if we've helped you in some way, go ahead and tell us about it at ourmightyfortress at gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to talk about the unstoppable prayer found in the book of James. This New Testament book has been one of the more controversial biblical books in Christian history. In fact, Eusebius and Jerome both recorded doubts as to the canonicity of James. Martin Luther didn't consider the book of James to be James the Apostle. <laughs> the Catholic humanist and scholar Erasmus likewise questioned the authenticity of James. This was mainly over the issue of whether James was contradicting the Apostle Paul in saying that salvation was by grace through faith and not of the good works that people do. The book was vindicated of such accusations as the knowledge of the scriptures expanded. James covers subjects dealing in many areas, such as the progression of sin, faith and works, law and the application and the, of the word of God, wealth and poverty, and finally prayer, confession, and healing, which is basically going to be the focus of this podcast. It's a very powerful book. We do find that the concept of prayer is interwoven through these various topics and has great implications to the message that James is trying to preach to a group of fellow believers. And there, therein lies the, the source of all of the conflict. What, I'm, what do I mean by that? 
James says brethren multiple times in the book. He's talking to a church. He's talking to believers. So when it comes to the whole works aspect of salvation and why people had a problem is because he thought or they thought that he was speaking to unbelievers when in fact he's speaking to believers in the church. So yes, a Christian should show that he or she is a Christian by doing good things, by doing good works, but it doesn't have to do with a person's salvation. And of course, in all of this, he does show what it takes to be a good Christian. I want to look at what makes the unstoppable prayer in the book of James. And I'm going to have to try to build a foundation and explain it in three areas. First, we're going to see the request for wisdom, asking things of God, and healing before the church. There was much to learn from this book pertaining to prayer and the power of God. There's also much faith to be added to the believer when they abide in the direction that, that James is giving through the guiding of the Holy Spirit. With that introduction... Let's get right into this. The subject of prayer is always a very delicate one, given that many people lack in this area, or they pray only when they need something from God. When the Messiah was on the earth, he set the example by praying to the Father often and even taught the disciples to pray. To Jesus, Prayer is where the Christian is supposed to go for the power of God. This is what he taught. Prayer can be where the Christian goes to see the will of the Father work in their lives. The book of James gives direction for believers to pray in various situations like being in trials, troubles, sickness, rejoicing, and even wisdom. James chapter 1 and verse 5 states, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Well, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the right to use or exercise knowledge, the choice of laudable ends, and is the best means to accomplish them. God puts a definite distinction between knowledge and wisdom, Wisdom comes from the principles found within the Word of God, and they're universal, by the way. James is saying that if a Christian desires the wisdom of God in a particular manner, God will give it to him as long as he asks in faith. That's in verse 6. It was the theologian Gary Miller that said, quote, James had given much thought to the way in which Jesus Christ is our wisdom and has both embodied the fear of the Lord and put godly living within our grasp in the gospel. And quote, God tells man to seek wisdom many times in scripture. And the most famous source for this wisdom, of course, is the book of Proverbs. God rewarded King Solomon for asking for wisdom rather than the things of the world. This is because Solomon understood the first principle about wisdom coming from Psalms 111.10 and Proverbs 9 and verse 10, which is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. James is speaking to people who understood the law of God and his precepts and principles contained within the word of God. 
in chapter 1 and verse 5, James has the presupposition that born-again people he was speaking to in Jerusalem would already have had the fear of the Lord. What more specifically does James mean by wisdom when a Christian asks God of it? One theologian once said that he means the sum of practical religion. Hmm, maybe. This is definitely the difference, as given the book of Proverbs, as between wisdom and folly. That's interesting. Making practical the wisdom of God. The verses that follow James 1, 5 speak of the progression of temptation and sin. God would rather his children walk after wisdom than to see them destroyed because of the folly and sin. This also demonstrates a loving father as he desires his children to seek the truth in wisdom and to walk uprightly. James is also very specific as to where the source of wisdom comes from, and that is God. Does James say, if any of you lack wisdom, let him sit down and think? No. <laughs> if any of you lack wisdom, let him take a course in reading? No. If you lack any wisdom... Let them go to the scholars or rabbis to get it from them? No. <laughs> and that was from Alexander McLaren. Now, the source of life and wisdom, it just comes from God alone. In the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul illustrates that God's spirit within the Christian wrestles against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit. This is the daily spiritual battle that all of us go through, and it just rages inside us from the time that we're born until the time that we take our last breath in this life. Being that walking in wisdom is the direction found in much of the Bible, what is important for the Christian? He is to ask God for wisdom every day in how to properly navigate this life and, and strive Strive, emphasis on striving to walk in the Spirit. The request for wisdom can be made through prayer, but it's also important to note that the following verse in verse 6 states that a person must have the faith that God will answer. This does not include anything but the subject of wisdom when asking in prayer, so the asking in faith is according to that context. There must be no doubt in asking because this doubt calls the gospel itself into question. And it's played out countless of times in the Old Testament where there's no trust in the God of the Bible, the God of the Israelites, Yahweh. Sooner than later, the prayer is not heard. Their prayer is not heard. Why? Because they doubt. They do not believe God. Now, there are times in the Old Testament where God moves despite men's unbelief. This was the case just before the Red Sea crossing. It was mainly the faith of Moses where Mo the people started to doubt, but Moses stood by and said, you there wait and you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. So despite the overwhelming doubt that was there, God moved through Moses. And of course, this is to paint the overall picture of the Red Sea and baptism and, and various things to come. So God's going to keep through with his plan. The prayer cannot be real unless the Christian prays with the expression of faith. In James 1.8, he 
He describes that a man who is double-minded will be unstable in all of his other ways before the Lord. This directly pertains to the previous verses, as well in which God wants the gift of wisdom to be given to man. Don't be double-minded. He has to be firm in his faith. It was Joseph XL who said, quote, God is all simplicity himself, and he gives with simplicity, so he can have no sympathy with the unstable, double-sided man, end quote. Now, let's shift and look at the prayer that's in lust. In James chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, James states that the believer need only ask, and the Father will answer the prayer. But if it is to consume upon the person's lust instead, then God will not answer. This deals with prayer in general when requesting of God to work somehow in the believer's life. This is also what seems to make the allusions to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. But it goes further in the detail explaining the asking and receiving in prayer. Prayer is, in fact, supposed to be in the spirit and will of God. This, of course, makes the question arise as what exactly pertains to lust. Lust could be defined as a flesh craving, but more in context, it would be the cravings that are outside the boundaries established by God. If one's life is in danger, would it be right for a believer to ask God for deliverance? Of course it would be. You, it could also be the case that God may just allow for a person to say, hey, have a thorn in the flesh like Paul did. Uh, you can see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Sometimes we'll, we'll pray for some type of infirmity or injury or some health issue that we're dealing with to be taken away. But God says, no, you need this. And of course, that means he answered our prayer. Now, of course, we don't like that kind of prayer. <laughs> we want God to take away. And so did Paul, by the way. Paul asked three times to take that thorn out of the flesh. But God said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. An example of what not to do in prayer, according to James, is to ask for, say, hmm, a Ferrari. <laughs> Given the car that's around $100,000, you might be asking God, according to the flesh. Of course, it's not a sin to have nice things. But there's always boundaries in the and principles found in the Word of God that talk about what's right to have or not have. Driving around in a highly expensive car like that is more of a status symbol, and everybody knows that. So it's not really a need, and neither should it be for the Christian. We shouldn't be putting off that kind of example, you know. People kind of kick against that, you know, but it is what it is. There are status symbols of the world, and is it okay for a Christian to partake in those things? No, of course not. So asking for that, or here's here's one of the more famous ones. Lord, can I just find a winning lottery ticket? <laughs> God's not going to answer that prayer for obvious reasons. And come on now, we've all thought about it at one time or another. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I think it's pretty universal, actually. This principle can also apply to the selfish desiring of positions of power. Selfish desires are of the flesh, and when a man wants something, he means to get it by his own efforts and to master everybody and everything that stands in his way. 
that will make the person end up being the commotion and the issue wherever he goes. That issue of the flesh that comes out, that lust, it just corrupts everything. You know, there have been many books written by the prosperity gospel proponents, the heretics, that feed the lust of people and they misuse the word of God and God's name. There was a book written in the 1970s by the former fundamentalist Dr. John R. Rice. He wrote in his book on prayer, quote, Christians are invited to ask for literally anything they want. Whatsoever means anything in the world. And within Jesus, knowing the unbelief of our hearts, simply said, If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Christians ought to ask for anything, literally anything they want from God. End quote. Now, John R. Rice was a good man, good preacher, good Christian. But when he wrote that, it's a little too general. Of course, I don't think they really had the rampant prosperity preachers of today. But that entire section was written with too much generalization. And it was one of the most popular books on prayer in America. On the contrary, another author wrote that, quote, motives should be governed by our needs and not our wants, end quote. And that was the counselor Neil Anderson. Of course, James definitely states very clearly about the difference between legitimate requests and not. James even alludes to the fact that men will kill in order to get what they desire, whether pertaining to an object or a position of power. That's definitely true. You can see that completely throughout history. This is clearly illustrated in the Bible as well. You can see that in many places, whether it's the selfish desires of Cain in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8, to the murderous lust of Absalom in 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 28. James keeps people from mischaracterizing the Lord Jesus Christ and clarifies the difference between legitimate requests and requests that are about a man's lusts. And one thing is for sure, you will not have the unstoppable prayer if you're praying in lust. Next, we're going to look at the healing of a person and prayer. There is an interesting reference to healing and prayer in the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. And these set of verses have caused quite a bit of controversy. There are many who say that James has a very broad definition of healing. Well, we need to understand that the letter's promise of healing in terms of what it says about prayer, salvation, forgiveness, ethics, and even the tongue, we have to keep all of that in context. In verse 13, the word used for suffering in Greek, in the Greek New Testament, is kakopathe, and this does need a bit of defining. In verse 10, James seems to have in mind a specific context where one is suffering evil, either as a result of other people's wrong actions or one's own. If evil has befallen the individual, then he's to go before the church, the pastors, and the Lord to seek healing. In verse 14, James instructs the elders to anoint the sick with oil in the name of the Lord. And the question may arise, like, what do, what are they doing? Oil? How does that even apply? Well, the church customs of anointing with oil goes as such, quote, 
anointing with oil was a part of the ceremonial aspects of the Jewish law, which has been introduced into the Roman as well as the, as well as the Oriental churches of that time. We do not consider that in these cases, oil was used either as a means or as a symbol. The anointing was simply to exercise their faith, similar to Peter and John's temple called Beautiful. Rise up and walk. The elders of the church, after praying for the sick man, were to treat him as though he were recovered. End quote. That was by Jay Wilcock, the preacher of yesteryear. Now that's interesting. Peter came and healed people, and people didn't look around and say, I wonder if it worked. The lame man got up and walked. That's pretty amazing. And of course, as the emphasis on miracles faded away, for a rhyme and reason, of course, God can still heal, but not quite like the beginning of the New Testament. There were miracles going on left and right, but that was the authenticity of what the apostles were trying to preach and teach in the message of Jesus Christ. But in context and dealing with James, James doesn't say that the person is going to be guaranteed to be healed of their infirmity, but rather that he's going to be saved and raised up. Up to this point, James has been very specific with his responses so that the reader is to believe that every time a person is brought before the church and anointed with oil, it will be before God. But now remember, what if the sickness or ailment is the appropriate thorn in the flesh? As 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 talks about, that was the thorn that was given to Paul by God. And of course, we have to keep in mind that we're not going to live forever. So if I have an infirmity that is going to cause me to die one day, and that is the appointed time in which I'm to meet God. Well, God, actually, he could heal you and give you expand, expanded life. He did that a few times in the Old Testament, but more than likely, you're going to meet God at that specific time. So it's not that God is not delivering on that. He's just saying, no, it's time for you to come. So you better get busy while a little, little bit of time you got left. It's very possible that God can bestow his mercy and grace and heal somebody. But what if he doesn't? It's very important to keep James and what he's saying about healing in that kind of context where God can heal you. But you can't go and expect healing every time because what if that thorn is supposed to be given to you? That is your thorn to bear. And really, there are way too many false prophets that portray a feeble God and a God that's not given in the Christian scripture. You have so many churches that will use this kind of scripture and just ruin many people's faiths when God does not heal the individual. A proper understanding is definitely needed to really comprehend the message of James. What is also noted is that James seems to link healing with forgiveness. Frederick Geyser states, quote, Confession recognizes human sordidness and wickedness, our own as well, and appeals for renewal to an implanted word. Biblical theology more broadly recognizes this as the word for or of forgiveness that comes from without, from God. 
usually from another, speaking in God's name to set us free. End quote. Now remember, forgiveness is very important. James is very familiar with the law of God. As he illustrates throughout the entire book, he knows that sin will for sure hinder our prayers before God. There are actually a lot of passages that talk about that, but one is the book of Psalms, Psalm 66 and verse 18, and it says, quote, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, end quote. With a clear conscience, the Christian can walk in the Holy Spirit and turn the world upside down for the Lord. Now, the book of James has definitely caused much division amongst Christians since it was included in the canon of scripture so long ago. And if you don't study it appropriately, it can lead into heresy. Hopefully we're able to sort out and help build your understanding of a lot of different things there. James is not contradicting Paul, of course. James is writing to believers in dealing with the performing of good works as a Christian and begins with that premise. James then spent time illustrating the progression of sin and how a man should deal with his temptation. And through the entire book, he proceeds to make the practical application of a Christian's belief system and the word of God and its principles and found in wisdom. And the individual believer can be firm in that. He talks about the unstoppable prayer, prayer for wisdom from God in James chapter 1 and verse 5, which is the foundation by which he can walk in this life. Having that unstoppable prayer, having the right kind of faith and doesn't ask for things amiss, consuming it upon their own lust. And of course, that unstoppable prayer coming before the church and the pastors for healing from evil and the confession of sins is also of great importance. Understanding these precepts and principles given in James will help the Christian resist the temptations of the devil and the lusts of the flesh and really give them the power to understand what it means to have faith and trust in God. Understanding this powerful book will help the individual Christian today understand the foundation for unstoppable prayers. I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content. And remember to find your refuge and strength in Our Mighty Fortress.